Good enablement is uh, seen as a strategic uh, initiative and not a tactical initiative, right? Um, and what I mean by that is that it's it's proactive, it's not reactive. Um, so, you know, uh, I think a lot of the times enablement becomes reactive and tactical. It's like a salesperson needs an asset and you respond to that. And uh, to me, that's not uh, scalable, that's not sustainable, and, and that's not effective enablement. Um, the companies that I've seen that do enablement the best uh, really invest in making it a strategic resource where they have an uh, ongoing and open line of communication between the enablement team, whether that's product marketing or sales enablement, and the sales team, right? And they, you know, uh, they have a constant feedback loop of sales telling them what's going on in the market, what they're facing, and and the enablement team coming up with the tools and the assets to support the sales team. Um, so it's an ongoing conversation, it's not reactive. Welcome to the Product Marketing Life podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance and hosted by me, Mark Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. Every two weeks, I pull insights from some of the world's most talented product marketers to uncover the secret sauce of successful product marketing. In this episode, I'm joined by Justin Dorfman, co-founder and CEO at AssetMew. Justin has spent almost 15 years in the tech and SaaS space, first in sales, then in product marketing, and now as a founder and CEO. Today, Justin and his co-founder, George, are building Asset Mule as a bridge between marketing and sales to help these teams work better together and win more business. Asset Mule helps product marketing and sales teams create high-quality personalized sales assets in minutes. During our chat, Justin shares his thoughts on the difference between good and great enablement, and what product marketers can do to build enablement into a function that delivers enough value to warrant its own dedicated resourcing. All right, with that out of the way, let's dive in. Hey, Justin, how's it going? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you? Good, thanks. Super excited to have you on the show today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, let's get into it then. It'd be great if you could give the listeners a quick overview of your career so far. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have been in sort of the startup SaaS tech world for about 15 years now. So, uh, you know, I'm getting there, right, in terms of becoming a veteran. Um, I... Uh, started my career actually in sales. So I was um, the first salesperson at an early stage company uh, called Tracker in the influencer marketing space. Um, and, you know, uh, in that role, uh, I kind of came across product marketing for the first time, although I didn't know it, right? So um, I was doing a lot of my own product marketing as the first salesperson, I had no marketing support. Um, I, you know, was creating my own collateral. I was discovering who our ideal customer profiles were, um, you know, uh, sort of figuring out the positioning and messaging, um, and spent actually 10 years at that company. So I, you know, was the first salesperson, but then part of a growing sales team, I actually took on a management role where I managed and built out the sales development team. And then during the latter part of my, my time there, uh, got my first actual product marketing role, uh, where the CEO of the company, the founder of the company, uh, sort of presented me the opportunity to build out the product marketing function. And, um, you know, at the time I didn't really know what product marketing was, but, uh, very, very quickly fell in love with, with the practice and have been doing it one way or another ever since. So eventually left that company and joined a company in the blockchain space called blockchain.com and did my first foray into B2C product marketing, which was super interesting. And, you know, going from an early stage company to like a hyper growth company was also a really interesting experience. 
And then finally, at the you know beginning of uh, this year, 2023, found myself as sort of a crossroads to to figure out what I wanted to do next. I knew that it was something in product marketing um, and sales enablement that's always been sort of uh, my strong suit, my area of passion, and um, reconnected with my now co-founder George and um, started bouncing around some ideas, and and that's how we kind of came up with Asset Mule and started this this fun journey that we've been on for. Yeah, you know, almost nine months or so now. Yeah, and I've been keeping a pretty close eye on, you know, the work that you and George have been doing um, for a variety of reasons. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. But I want to just jump in very briefly to a couple of interesting things I noticed as you're going through your career history. So I I find it fascinating that an influencer marketing oriented organization did not have a marketing function. Was there any reason behind that or like? just at the scale and, and timing of the company? Like what was the, the thinking behind not having a dedicated marketing org? It's, it's super interesting actually and funny. And I think the reason why was our co-founder or our, the co-founder CEO, Pierre-Louis Asayag is a marketer. That's his background. So he was sort of taking on that function from the beginning. And he was actually one of the, the, the people out there that I saw sort of being a, a founder brand. That's now a thing, right? He was very active on different influencer marketing panels. He uh, was writing a lot of our content and, um, you know, sort of managing our blog. And so the outside of engineering and product, the first hires that he did were, were really sales um, to sort of pick up where he left off from a marketing perspective. Um, but yeah, we went for quite a while without any formal marketing, uh, which was very counterintuitive for a marketing tech company, but, but it worked out for us. And we were very fortunate that we had a a leader in the company that got marketing. So, you know, uh, it was something that wasn't left to the side. He was doing it actively, but then also when, when, uh, when we did hire a marketing team, he really invested in it and it was an area of focus. That makes a lot more sense now that you've explained it. And I'm curious, was there, was there a moment in time or a specific event that kind of compelled him to have you build out a product marketing function? I mean, obviously product marketing is a very specific type of marketing, but was there just a gap in his kind of ability as a marketer? Because it sounds like he you know, knew what he was doing from a marketing perspective. So what was it that made him decide, hey, Justin, product marketing is the thing that I want to invest in. Let's let's go do it. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it was actually, you know, I think the main reason was, actually, there were two main reasons. One was um, that we were very early in the influencer marketing space. So a lot of the, the, um, the early stuff that we did in terms of marketing was more brand awareness stuff. You know, to thinking back, product marketing made a lot of sense there because we needed to have a strong story. And it was a lot of education of the market. It was actually a lot less about tracker, the product in the company. It was more about what is influencer marketing and why is it important? And what what are the shifts happening out there? that are leading to this new type of marketing, which product marketing is well-suited to tell that story, but it was more generalist. I think our first couple of hires were generalist marketers, right? They did product marketing, but they content marketing, social media marketing, they sort of took on a a multifaceted role. The reason why we invested in product marketing was um, it was a little later in the company when actually the influencer marketing space had started to take off and a lot of competitors started to appear. And it was more now about what is our story within influencer marketing, right? Who are we? What is our place in the market? What is our positioning and our messaging? So that was one was, you know, competitive differentiation in the market. The other piece was we had grown the sales team quite significantly. So, you know, back in the early days, I was the only sales guy. Now we had 15 or so salespeople. And um, 
we we had you know some inconsistency in performance, right? We had those rock stars that were you know doing a great job. They're telling the story in a really compelling way. They uh, had a very refined sales process that they were following, following, and then others that were kind of scattered and lost and trying to figure out their their way to improving their performance. So product marketing kind of came in with two purposes. One was uh, figure out what our story was in this world that was now getting quite noisy and and uh, you know differentiating. But the other was to really enable the sales team and create some sense of consistency in the messaging and the stories that they were telling and the assets that they were sharing and and really improve the overall performance. So the reason why I think he chose me as the person to take on that role was, you know, I was the original salesperson, right? And uh, I sort of discovered who the customer was in that original positioning and messaging, and I had built out the sales process. So who better in his mind to sort of replicate that across and scale that across the sales team? Yeah, and what I love about your answer is I think it really encapsulates kind of what it's like working as a product marketer in an emerging category where mm -hmm. you start first start by just educating everyone and telling the category story. Like, yeah. what is it that we're actually selling here and how does it solve this, you know, specific problem that people might not even know they had up until yeah. now. Mm -hmm. But then as the category matures and more people start to jump in and start competing against one another, it's not necessarily about, you know, how you as an organization can solve this problem. It's how you solve that problem better than anybody else. And then you start, going from telling the category story to telling the company story and your differentiated story. So I think that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, like you said, who better than the person who was probably outside of the founder, the, the one telling that story from the very early days, most often as the first salesperson, then to take that on and, and kind of formulate, uh, formulate it and kind of put it down into a standard I don't know, document framework template, just basically so that others specifically in the sales org, could then go and tell that story repeatedly with some consistency. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, spot on. All right. And I want to ask you one more time, or sorry, one more question before we hop off kind of your earlier experiences. What was it like going from being in product marketing at a B2B force, a focused org, excuse me, to a B2C one? Was there a big change in your approach and what you kind of expected to do day to day? Or did the role pretty much stay the same? You were just selling a different service to a different audience? No, it was it was very different, actually, uh, in my experience, it might be different for other folks. But, um, you know, uh, my sort of partner in crime from in a B2B world was sales, right? I worked very, very closely with sales. Um, technically speaking, actually, at Tracker, we, we, we decided to put product marketing in the product function. So I was part of the product team. Um, but I worked very closely with sales and marketing, right? That was sort of my, uh, my, my two uh, counterparts. Um, in the organization. When I moved over to blockchain.com and a B2C perspective, uh, I was part of the marketing team and my counterpart was actually product, product managers, right? So, uh, and, and the sort of content of the work changed a lot more, uh, a lot as well. So at um, Tracker in the B2B sense, a lot of the work that I was doing was sales enablement, right? As I mentioned, uh, creating sales assets and um, training the sales team on how to use them. Uh, informing the sales team about product uh, updates and and how to bring them to market, helping with competitive differentiation. Uh, on the B two B side, it was very launch focused, right? It was working with the product managers. What the great part of it is, I got to work with them very early on in the process process and do a sort of uh, market research and customer research, 
and help inform the product roadmap and, and the launch itself. Um, but then it was very focused on, you know, working with marketing to make sure that that messaging goes through all the different channels, right? Whether it be, uh, you know, our blog or email campaigns or social media or paid channels. Um, so yeah, the, the sort of, uh, I, I would say the counterparts that I worked with were were slightly different, right? You know, from sales to product and then, um, yeah, in the, in the B2C sense. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So I want to ask you a question that I actually asked my most recent guest, Tamara Grominski. And I'm curious to hear your take on it. So what do you think it is about product marketing that lends itself so well to striking out and starting your own gig and launching your own company? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I thought a lot about this too. Um, and I think there's two main things. One is um, I think product marketers are unique in that other than the CEO, they're the only other role that has such a holistic uh, viewpoint on how the business works, right? Generally speaking, they're a uh, connective tissue between many different teams, right? They're uh, they're connected to the CEO and founders because their goal is to tell the story and 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 sort of share the vision that the CEOs and founders have. They then work with the sales team, right, to make sure that they uh, are trained on how to uh, share that message with their customers and that they have the assets that they need to do that. Um, they work with the marketing team to make sure that messaging is pushed out across all the different channels. As I mentioned previously, the email, the blog, the social channels, the paid channels, et cetera. Um, they work with customer success as well, right? To make sure that, you know, we're not just uh, in, engaging and, and, and driving impact with prospective customers, but also with existing customers. And they work with the product team, right? To make sure that the product team is getting feedback from the market that informs the product roadmap. And, um, you know, that the, the product is being uh, sort of uh, pushed out into the market uh, in the most appropriate and effective way. So I think other than the founder or the CEO, they're the person or the people with the most holistic sort of viewpoint on the business. So that's one piece. But I also think um, when you think about the early stage uh, role of a founder, a lot of the skill set and a lot of the tasks that a founder takes on are very similar to what a product marketer takes on, right? So, you know, in my experience becoming a, a founder, you know, I'm doing a ton of customer discovery. I'm talking to product marketers and sales reps every day, understanding what their world is and and the challenges that they face and sort of, you know, demonstrating our solution and, and refining our solution based on what I'm learning. Um, I'm, you know, uh, building the positioning and the messaging of the company based on what I'm hearing and the product roadmap and defining the product go to market strategy. And, uh, you know, those are all product marketing functions, right? So I think that's the other reason is that the, the functions overlap and the skill set that you uh, you you develop as a product marketer is just so relevant for an early stage founder. Now, maybe a later stage CEO, things change and 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 the role changes. But I think especially for an early stage founder, the 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 skill set and the experience is is highly relevant. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, and it's it's even just a level of visibility across an org that you get as a product marketer is very much akin to that of someone like a founder or CEO where you're seeing, you know, everything. And then, as you said, obviously, as the company scales, that gets harder and harder for one person to possibly stay on top of that. But even I have seen throughout my career being in product marketing, just like knowing the types of conversations and decisions that are happening in, you know, the disparate reaches of the org relative to the stakeholders I'm working with. I'm often the one coming to conversation saying, oh, 
I know product is working on this. So I'm talking to sales and, you know, they're seeing these gaps and I can reassure them, oh, you know, product is actually already addressing this or aware of this, or, oh, maybe it's the opposite. Product wasn't aware of this. So I'm going to be the person bringing that back from sales to product, much like, as you said, like a founder would. They're seeing all these conversations, observing the market, chatting with customers and trying to connect those dots. So I think you're, you're spot on. You really do have to be, as you said earlier, that connective tissue across the org. Um, and, you know, being able to do that in the safe, well, somewhat safe environment as a product marketer, I'm sure just helps develop that muscle so that you can then go out and venture on your own and, you know, in the less safe and scarier world, uh, as a founder. <laughs> exactly. Cool. So on this topic of being a founder and in speaking more specifically about asset mule, I think, you know, any founder that you hear talk always has this kind of, there has to be a better way moment, this moment where they realize that there's something that's happening and there's a way to do it better somehow. What was that moment for you with Asset Mule? Yeah, I think there's three things that that I think about um, that were sort of moment aha moments for me on what this solution could be. The first um, came in actually the early days when I was that you know first salesperson. I've always struggled with creating assets. I'm not a designer. Uh, I think I'm I'm and this is something that I've heard in a lot of our customer discovery that's very common among product marketers. I have a good enough design eye to say, you know, this is good or this is bad. But if you give me a blank canvas, I I have a hard time figuring out where to start, right? So creating assets was a real challenge for me when I was my own salesperson, right? And my own marketer for myself. Um, but when I became a product marketer and now I had 15 salespeople, uh, you know, that problem uh, multiplied by 15, right? And I was every day getting requests from salespeople about you know requests for new assets, right? I need a one pager, and I know we have a one pager, but I want it for this specific industry or for this specific persona. Or there's a new uh, competitor that just came up in a conversation. Do we have any you know competitive pages that I can send to my prospect? And by the way, I need this for tomorrow, right? Um, so you know, there's definitely been tools that have emerged uh, that have made design a lot easier. And the one that comes to mind is Canva, right? And Canva was in some ways our inspiration where, you know, uh, you know, the gotta be a better way is like, look, Canva's done this for general sort of design assets. Can we do something that's similar, but very, very specific for sales collateral, right? Make it extremely easy for a product marketer to spin up the type of templates that they need for their sales team, whether one pagers, case studies, competitive pages, um, you know, quickly and easily and without design resources needed. So that was kind of the first, their first piece. The second piece um, is, you know, when I used to create sales assets for my sales team, I would notice even no matter how much effort I put into making sure that it was as strong as possible in its positioning and messaging, um, they would change it, right? They would personalize it. And from uh, experience as a salesperson, I can appreciate that. I know every prospect is different and, um, you know, you, you you can't have one asset that works for every single prospect. So the need to personalize is really, really important. But, you know, what happens in that process is that the, the hard work that the product marketer has done to define the positioning and the messaging and, and even the branding of the asset sometimes can be diluted in the process, right? And salespeople, you know, they may make a copy of your template, they change it, then they make a copy of that, and they change it and they make, and eventually you see what uh, you know, the eighth version of it, and you don't recognize it anymore. So that was the second problem that that I really had experienced that I wanted to solve is, okay, we have this way of creating quick templates. Um, is there a way that we can help salespeople personalize those templates, um, but with guardrails or with parameters that 
protect the integrity of the branding and the messaging, right? Um, so that was kind of the second piece that I think uh, sort of aha moment for me. So, so the third reason or the third aha moment for us came actually a little bit later in the process. Um, you know, the first two were uh, sort of early on as my experience as a product marketer, but the third one came in customer discovery as we were actually already, uh, you know, thinking about building this concept of asset mule. And that is that, um, you know, a lot of people out there as salespeople in particular, uh, find that these assets today, they're mostly PDFs. They're, they're really boring, right? They're static PDFs. Nobody's printing these things out anymore. Um, so there's no reason why they need to be PDFs, right? And that there's actually a real opportunity to reimagine what sales assets can be. So, you know, through that, we, we've started to think about, can we make these things, you know, instead of PDFs, almost like microsites or, or web-based assets that can be more interactive, more engaging. So, you know, they can incorporate things like video or interactive product demos into the asset, right? But they can also be more interactive in that, you know, maybe you have live chat in them as well. So when a prospect's viewing them, uh, the prospect can actually ask questions of the salesperson and actually can be a means of engaging uh, with, you know, uh, engagement between the salesperson and the prospect. Um, but also by being a web-based asset, they can actually give more visibility into the sales process. So a lot of the times with sales assets today, you send this deck or this one pager over the fence, and then you don't know what happens, right? You don't know, are they viewing it? Are they sharing it? What's going on? But if it's a web-based asset, suddenly you can start tracking views. You can start tracking if they're sharing it with other people. You can start tracking whether there are certain aspects of the asset or certain assets in particular that are driving more engagement and more impact in the sales process. Um, so the, the, that came out of actually customer discovery and was probably, yeah, the the latest sort of aha moment for us where there's something interesting here, you know, and a real opportunity uh, really to reimagine sales assets as a whole. Yeah. And I'm sure as a lot of listeners are, are hearing you speak, they're themselves feeling those aha moments and saying, <laughs> I felt that as, as, as often as just last week, right? Like these are, these are real pains that product marketers feel all the time. And I remember when you and George were taking me through the product. Uh, I want to say about a month and a half or, or maybe two months ago, that idea of tracking to me was like what really, you know, impressed me because that's a, a you know, a conversation that we have quite often, even at Jobber and that I've had at past organizations, you go through all the effort of putting together this asset, typically a one pager or a pitch deck. And then, you know, and you hope the salesperson is using it as intended. But then, like you said, once it gets in the hand of the prospect or the customer, who knows what's happening to it, right? I, I can I can only imagine what the percentage of you know PDF sent versus actually open truly is. I'd imagine it's probably quite low, um, because you know prospects are busy and anything that's not being shown to them in a face to face conversation or that they're going to have to you know download Adobe Acrobat Reader or hope that Chrome is the default PDF viewer. Like it just adds all these extra layers and you know points of friction to opening um, a piece of collateral. And, and, you know, we know on the product marketing side, how much effort goes into creating those things. And you just feel like it's, it's just wasted effort at that point. So I really like this idea of knowing with confidence that, Hey, we created this, it's being sent and it's actually being engaged with. And then you can, I think, especially right now, um, have that ability to tie that effort back to actual outcomes. Uh, and I say right now, because, you know, a lot of product marketers are under pressure to show that their efforts are actually turning into deals or into revenue or into reduced churn. So having that ability to say, Hey, you know, we invested 
this many cycles of you know revisions on this asset and we sent it and it actually helped us close this many deals goes so much farther in the product marketing being able to justify that not only that effort but their role within the org um so that you know just to kind of reiterate what we said earlier was, was really the aha moment for me as you were showing it to me a couple months ago yeah and we actually think of sort of three uh types of metrics that that are really important for this. One is usage metrics. So making sure that the sales team are actually using the assets that you're creating. And if they're not, understanding why and improving the assets that you create to make sure that they're more usable, right? Um, the second are uh, engagement metrics. So those are the things like the views and the shares and making sure that prospects are actually engaging with the assets that they're finding it compelling enough to engage. And then the third are uh, impact metrics. And those are, you know, do these assets actually impact the metrics that matter to the business, right? Are they uh, increasing a win rate, for instance, if it's a competitive dock against a certain competitor? Are they speeding up sales cycles? Um, are they generating more pipeline or more revenue for the business? So those are the three sort of uh, categories of metrics that we aspire to track. We're not tracking all of those yet today, but that we will be tracking the platform to, to tie back to uh, you know, performance and, and uh, sort of demonstrate the, the, the value that product marketing is bringing to the org. Yeah. And I think as more and more product marketing oriented solutions are being brought to market, because I can, you know, list off any number right now that are currently trying to sell under product marketing, in addition to some other categories or roles, I should say as well, um, being able to justify that investment in that tool um, becomes that much more challenging, especially when budgets are, you know, being constricted, or there's more pressure being placed on how much any one role is is spending at any given time. So having those, as you said, impact metrics just helps justify, say, hey, we invested this much in this tool and we influenced this much revenue. So we you know, already have paid back that investment, you know, threefold, fourfold, whatever it might be. So that just helps make that argument just to going out and securing the tool that much easier. Yep. Awesome. So let's dive deeper into this idea of enablement. Obviously, you know, you're an expert in this area for all the reasons we just talked about. So I'm curious to pick your brain on a couple of these questions. Um, so I'll start with the first one, you know, for a lot of product marketers, enablement is something that is assumed to just be part of the core responsibilities. You're a product marketer, you're responsible for enablement in some kind. Um, but I think often with that assumption, there's a bit of an underappreciation for the challenges associated with defining and delivering effective enablement. So in your opinion, what's your take on what good enablement looks like? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I think good enablement is uh, seen as a strategic uh, initiative and not a tactical initiative, right? Um, and what I mean by that is that it's, it's proactive, it's not reactive. Um, so, you know, uh, I think a lot of the times enablement becomes reactive and tactical. It's like a salesperson needs an asset and you respond to that. And uh, to me, that's not uh, scalable, that's not sustainable, and, and that's not effective enablement. Um, the companies that I've seen that do enablement the best uh, really invest in making it a strategic resource where they have an uh, ongoing and open line of communication between the enablement team, whether that's product marketing or sales enablement, and the sales team, right? And they, you know... Uh, they have a constant feedback loop of sales telling them what's going on in the market, what they're facing, and and the enablement team coming up with the tools and the assets to support the sales team. Um, so it's an ongoing conversation. It's not reactive. The other piece that I think um, uh, defines, in my mind, good enablement is what we just talked about. It's measurable, 
right? And uh, it's not just measurable in terms of uh, demonstrating performance, but also for a means of improving performance, right? Uh, there's a way to track how these assets are being used. Are they being used? How frequently they're being used? Uh, if they are actually having an impact on the buying journey and ultimately the goals of the business. And, you know, constantly looking at those metrics and refining the assets and the strategy and, and the sort of partnership between these two teams to make sure that they're they're delivering the most value possible. So I think when I think about good enablement teams, it really is seen as a strategic resource and as a measurable practice um, within the organization. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, I'm curious as a follow-up, you know, obviously, you know, when, when something like enablement is elevated to that strategic kind of level of importance within an org, I think sometimes certain individuals within the org um, can perceive it to be like a silver bullet, right? Like, oh, well, you know, we're going to invest this much in enablement and therefore we should see our revenue increase 3x or we should be winning this many more deals or our competitive win rate should go up by this much. And obviously there's a lot of factors involved in a sales cycle. So as someone who's seen it from, from both sides of the table, from sales and product marketing, and obviously now as a founder yourself, how do you temper expectations around what enablement can actually deliver on? Like, what are some of the caveats that you have, um, you know, put on the table and in conversations with people who want to make that investment internally? Yeah, I think for the most part, it's just sort of like everything. It's an iterative process, right? It's not something that is a silver bullet that from the get go is going to deliver, you know, life changing sort of uh, uh, value or, or uh, impact at least, right? Um, you know, it's all iterative, right? And that's where measurement comes into play, right? Seeing how things are performing, what's performing, what's not investing in the things that are uh, are performing, not investing in those that aren't, uh, and and sort of refining your approach and and um, you know the assets to make sure that they're you're sort of investing where you're getting a return, right? So um, I think that's the most important thing is having that sort of visibility and showing progress over time, right? Rather than just in sort of a a short period of time or in an instance. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And if I could build off of that, I think the other way, uh, or not necessarily a caveat per se, but another way you can kind of look at enablement if you're not necessarily seeing the impact that you had expected, and it isn't that silver bullet that some people internally might have expected it to be, is as a diagnostic tool. So, mm. you know, on those kind of three different types of measurements, as you uh, referenced earlier, if your engagement and your usage metrics are through the roof, but your impact messages or, or uh, measurements, excuse me, are, are poor or underperforming, that should be your tip to say, hey, there's something fundamentally not working here, right? Um, our reps are using it, our customers are engaging with it, but we're not seeing deals. So is there a problem elsewhere? Is the, is the product, is the, the talk track or the story that we're telling not landing? Are competitors beating us in these areas? So, you know, it, I think there's just a way to uh, perceive enablement as a way to help diagnose where things are going well and where they need to be addressed um, that you otherwise wouldn't, you know, have a line of sight into if you aren't measuring those three things um, accordingly. Mm -hmm. Cool. So, you know, you talked about having a lot of customer discovery calls and chatting with a lot of product marketers. And obviously, the bulk of those conversations beyond just talking about asset mule are about enablement. So, in those conversations, where have you seen or heard some product marketers uh, make mistakes when it comes to enablement, and how have you suggested they address them? Or even if you've kind of made some mistakes yourself earlier in your career, I'm curious to hear that and uh, you know how you've kind of corrected them uh, along the way. 
Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's a, another great question. I think it comes back to what we we've talked about earlier in terms of like strategic versus tactical. I think the biggest mistake that product marketers make, and I, I did fall into this as well um, as a sort of first time product marketer is uh, falling into the trap of becoming a tactical order taker. Right. And just responding to every single request that sales has of you. Um, and I think the, the, the way that I address that challenge, um, or at least the, the reason I, I think that challenge, uh, existed in the first place in the organization that I worked at was just a lack of understanding on what is sales enablement and how do you leverage it or take advantage of it, right. From stakeholders within the organization. So, um, <clears throat> something that I, I highly recommend, and this is what I did at tracker was I actually, um, you know, presented to the sales team on what what is product marketing, what is sales enablement, what are the 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 um, the things that we bring to the table for you, and what you can expect of us, and how to engage us right appropriately. Um, and what are the the SLAs as well, right? What are the you know if you have a request, how do you ask for that request, and what is the sort of delivery time for that requests and 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 so on um what's a qualification for that request right so that's something that i did is sort of like a kickoff uh you know if you're just creating this function function within your organization a kickoff sort of meeting or session um beyond that you can create sort of uh asynchronous ways of of uh portraying the, that same message so for instance at blockchain.com we did this actually for every marketing function um including product marketing we created a notion page right on this is what product marketing is and you know these are the main resources or assets that are available to you here are our slas uh you know here's our product marketing slack channel where you can reach us um this is our dashboard in terms of measurement and all the assets and so on um, so that, that's all well and good. I think the the final thing that I would mention is, and I think this is really important, is having a recurring meeting between sales enablement or product marketing and, in this case, sales, right? Where there's just an open line of communication and a collaboration between the two teams. And I, the way that I like to think about it is, you know, sales comes into the meeting with feedback, right? This is what we're hearing in the market. I use this asset. It's not really working that well. You know, I think improving it in this way would be great. Or I faced this situation and I had no asset for this. Um, I think it would. this is a gap in our process and our tool set, right? Um, and then product marketing can come to the table or sales enablement can come to the table with new assets or new campaigns and educate sales on how to use it and um, and and so on. So I think that is the most important piece. You can have the kickoff meeting, you can have the asynchronous page, and it can get lost in 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 the, you know the day to day, or it can just get forgotten. But having this ongoing means of communication, whether it be a biweekly or monthly or quarterly sort of sync. Uh, is really, really important um, to make sure that those two teams are locked in sync and that, you know, sales is using product marketing or sales enablement as a strategic function and sales or uh, enablement and product marketing isn't falling into that trap of becoming a tactical order taker. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think that's some fantastic advice. So thank you for sharing. And, you know, to bring back what you said as the kind of the first piece of advice to what we were talking about earlier, you know, this idea of product marketing kind of needing to tell the category story first, right? Like if you want people to not see you as someone who's just an order taker and delivering at the tactical level, you need to explain to them, you know, what product marketing is as like, you know, the function and the category 
And then once they understand why they should care about what a product marketing is and, and what the function can offer, you can then get into how you specifically as a product marketer can do it better than anyone else within the org. Um, and, and if you miss that first step, you kind of get pigeonholed into the second step, which isn't terrible, but it's not where product marketers want to be perceived, right? Like they obviously want to do good work and be seen within the organization as someone who can deliver quality work. But until you tell that category story or that story about what product marketing is, you're never going to get beyond just the day-to-day tactical stuff. So I just wanted to rehighlight that because I think that's, you know, fantastic advice and, and advice. Um, I have other guests on the show mentioned as well and identify as when they stepped into an org as a first product marketer, what really helped get them, you know, up and running quickly and um, delivering value internally faster and having others recognize that value was just explaining to everybody what product marketing is. So I just wanted to, to reiterate that. Awesome. So, you know, we talked about this earlier right now, not just product marketers, but really everybody across every org is, is spread pretty thin um, for a variety of reasons. Um, and sales enablement is one of those things that product marketers are expected to do, but there's not always enough time, the data to give it the justice and the, the attention that it needs. Um, and unfortunately that's obviously where tools like asset will come in to help, to help product marketers with those needs. Um, so if a product marketer finds themselves in need of a tool that can help support them, how do you recommend they go about getting the budget approval for it? In other words, how can they effectively, you know, pitch for enablement, resourcing and tooling? Yeah, I think this is a uh, very, very important topic, especially in our current environment where every tool um, is being looked at, right? And, And sort of scrutinized on, you know, what the return of that investment will be. And it's it's no different from obviously asset meal and, and sales enablement tools, right? And I think there's sort of two ways to think about this or two key things that you you sort of need to uh, to demonstrate. One is that this tool or this investment is going to uh, increase revenue, right? Or like whatever core metric is sort of top of mind with the company. Um, or it's going to increase in efficiencies and decrease costs, right? Those are the sort of the two levers that uh, you have to pull when you're making this justification. Um, and if you can make both, that's that's even better, right? So when we think about Asset Mule, um, you know, we try and enable our buyers, right? We try and help them tell that story uh, as well. And we we focus on both of them. So from a cost perspective, you know, giving using Asset Mule as an example, um, you know, you're going to be able to use a tool that allows you to quickly and easily create design grade resource or assets without having to hire a designer. A lot of teams that we speak to, at least, uh, don't have in-house design resources anymore. They're outsourcing it, right? And they've told us that, you know, creating a single asset can cost anywhere between $500 and $1,000 and can take two to three weeks. So being able to do that for, uh, you know, in the case of Asset Mule, 50 assets for $50 a month that you can create these assets in minutes has a very clear ROI story in terms of efficiency and cost savings, right? Um, the other piece that we hear, especially when, when it comes to assets, is that um, you know a lot of assets don't get used, right? They, they get created, you spend the $1,000 and they never get used, right? And the top two reasons is that you uh, that we've heard, actually, I think it was Forrester did a, a report on this and they found that the top two reasons are one, nobody can find these assets, right? They don't know where they live. And number two, the assets aren't relevant, right? So again, we try and tell that story with Asset Meal where you've got this single place where all the assets are available and accessible. So everybody knows where they are and um, you know uh, they're personalizable, right? So hopefully that makes them uh, sales 
more eager to use them, right? They can have a basis, but they can personalize them to make them relevant for their prospects. And we heard that, uh, I think in that report, that 65% of sales assets never get used, right? So that's a huge waste of budget that's already being used. And the case here is that you're already using that budget, use it more effectively, right? Um, and then on the other side of the coin, when it comes to, to sort of impact and, and revenue and, and so on, it's things like, you know, does Asset Mule increase win rates, right? Or does it, you know, speed up the sales process and all these sort of things? So we're working really hard with our customers to be able to tell that story, right? And sort of measure that for them um, and, and demonstrate it. But all this to say that, like, I think those are the two main stories that you want to tell, right? How is this tool, this investment going to increase the metrics that matter to our business, the, the revenue metrics and so on, help us hit our goals and, you know, or, and or, how uh, is it going to help us reduce costs and, and increase efficiency so that we can be leaner and and sort of more uh, uh, productive with our existing assets? Yeah, and I think that's a fantastic lens to apply to the kind of budget question. You know, what are we going to do with this spend and was it going to be worth it to us? And I think if I could just build off of kind of this uh, idea you mentioned of efficiency, you know, even if you do find yourself in an org where there are dedicated, let's call them marketing design resources, maybe you've got an in-house, you know, brand and creative team. Um, you know, in addition to your product designers, they themselves are spread quite thin. So how do you go about justifying their attention being pulled on enablement assets versus what they could be doing with, you know, creative campaigns and video series and whatever their, you know, list of thousands of things that they could be doing. So I think you're right. Like, you know, if you're finding yourself in a situation where you've got all these great ideas and sales is asking for all these great resources, but, you know, the existing designers just don't have the capacity to take them on, or at least in a reasonable time frame. Having a tool like Asset Mule allows you to get those assets at the door independently. And yes, you can still share them with your you know, in-house creative teams to get brand approval and make sure that everything's up to the standard that they would want it to be. Because that's often another area where those projects can get lost is, hey, this is great, but it's just not up to the standard that you know, the brand team would want to see. Um, you can do all that and you can get the approvals and reviews. And then you can just iterate, as you said earlier, make the changes as they come and still have that layer of approval before it ultimately lands in the customer's inbox, which is uh, hugely important. Yeah, you know, the funny thing about what you just said is um, when we first sort of started down this journey, we were a little nervous about how design teams would react, right? Because, you know, they've invested a lot, just like product marketing has invested a lot in, in the messaging and the positioning, you know, design teams have invested a ton in the branding, right? Um, what we found, though, is that uh, this is probably the lowest on the totem pole of the type of work that they want to do, uh, right? They love doing much more creative things than creating that the, the next one pager or the next sales deck, right? So uh, as long as the quality is of a certain bar, which we've uh, fortunately been able to to hit, uh, design teams on the most uh, part we've found are happy to hand this off to other people and and you know not not take on this work and focus on where they think they bring the most value, right? So it's been interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. You know, we in product marketing and, and in sales enablement can think of a one pager and a sales that can get, you know, somewhat excited by that. Someone who's in the creative team, who's been doing, you know, creative campaigns for their entire career, probably not going to get them out of bed in the morning to do those kinds exactly. of things. So I think it makes, makes a lot of sense. Awesome. So my last question on this topic here is this idea of, and, and you know, you mentioned it kind of in some of your previous answers, a moment in time where product marketing, you know, was driving sales enablement efforts up into a point. Now the company has grown to such a, 
size where they need to bring in additional resources. And maybe the decision has been made to bring in a dedicated sales enablement person or, or team. So what advice would you have for a product marketer who finds himself in, in the position of having to do that handoff from being the primary, primary deliverer of enablement resources to someone supporting a sales enablement team? And what can they do to set that new team or higher up for success? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think it's great, right? If if uh, you're able to bring in a full-time resource, obviously you've done your job in proving the value of this and now there's an opportunity to scale it. So I think it's a fantastic milestone for every company. Um, the biggest mistake I, th I see uh, happen though is that product marketing sort of hands it off to the sales enablement team or, or resource and it's there, there is now and now I'm going to go and do something else, right? Um, you know, product marketing, in my opinion, always should own positioning and messaging, right? That should be sort of the core of what they do. And, um, you know, there's this risk here that suddenly you've now created a silo where sales and sales enablement are over here and product marketing over here. And all this great work and refinement of the positioning and messaging isn't getting pushed through the most important channel that is most directly interacting with the customer, right? The sales team. So my advice is that although there can be this dedicated function now and that you know sales enablement now owns enablement, product marketing should always be involved, right? Product marketing should be actively involved in uh, training the team on the positioning and the messaging. And in a lot of cases, what I've seen, they're still involved or maybe even leading creation of the sales asset, right? They're creating the decks and the one pages and the competitive docs. And the role that sales enablement takes on is the implementation of those assets, right? They are in charge of making sure that those assets are discoverable. So there's a system in place where sales knows what's available to them. They're in charge of making sure that sales knows how to use those assets appropriately, when and how to use them. And then they're in charge of uh, being that connective tissue back to product marketing and measuring the effectiveness of those assets and identifying gaps in the tool set so that product marketing can come back in and fill those gaps. So I think that's my biggest piece of advice is, again, awesome that we're bringing in the sales enablement resource and we're scaling this practice. That means we've done our job, but it doesn't mean that the job is over and that product marketing still needs to be involved. Positioning and messaging is so important. And uh, having it go through that sales channel is incredibly important to the success of the, the business that product marketing still needs to be involved in. It's a collaborative effort between product marketing and sales enablement. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, and what you just described basically kind of describes the setup that we've got at Jobber today is, you know, we've got a product marketing team, we've got a sales enablement team, and we've actually got a success enablement team. So not only is our sales team being enabled, um, across a variety of, of different ways, but our success team is as well. And product marketing really is the driver of things like positioning and messaging, competitive differentiation, go to market. And then it's up to those enablement teams to basically, you know, enable their effective, their, their, their customer facing teams that they support. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen a lot of success in doing that. And the way that I kind of conceptualize it is, you know, we've got a, a number of different channels for, um, you know, to get voice of market or voice of customer um, and get customer feedback. But enablement can be, as for a product marketer, a great way to get voice of sales or voice of success and get that kind of in, internal pulse on what's working, what's not working, where are some opportunities to improve, 
maybe lines of communication or just training and how those teams are being enabled. So I think if you, if you as a product marketer kind of create that, or that relationship where those teams feel comfortable coming to you and saying, Hey, this is what's going well. And this is what's not your, everybody's going to win in that scenario. So, so that's the kind of the, the, the other lens that I like to apply to those teams is that voice of, of sales or voice of success that you otherwise, if you don't have that relationship would, would not really have a good line of sight into. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good way to put it. Awesome. Well, listen, Justin, this has been great. You know, as I said, at the onset of our conversation, you know, you and I have been chatting kind of back and forth for a while here. I've had the pleasure of, of meeting George, your, your co-founder and seeing all the great work that you were, uh, the two of you were driving with Asset Mule and super excited to, to continue to watch that uh, work kind of grow over the, the coming months and years. Um, but before I let you go, I want to ask you my last question. And that's what's an area of focus within the realm of product marketing that you think product marketers will have to pay attention to Maybe not this year because we're almost done, but let's say next year, uh, more so than they would have uh, in, in years before. Yeah, I think there is a shift going on where um, uh, product marketing is becoming more strategic within organizations. And the one thing uh, sort of case that I want to point to specifically is this sort of big change that happened to Airbnb uh, in the last couple of months. And it was big news, right? I think. Um, actually, if you if you don't know about this and you really want to learn about it, uh, a way to uh, a place to do that is Lenny's podcast. Uh, you know, Lenny's newsletter and podcast. He recently had um, Brian Chesky, the founder and CEO of Airbnb, on the podcast, and he specifically talked about the changes that they made. The headline was that Airbnb gets rid of product management. Right, that was sort of the headline that caught everybody's attention. But what he explained in the podcast is that's actually not uh, quite accurate. What they've done is they've actually elevated product marketing. Now within their organization, within Airbnb, product marketing is the most important function, right? And his thinking there is that, um, you know, uh, you, you can't uh, create a great product if you don't know how to talk about that product. And you can't create a great product if you don't know, if you're not an expert in the market of that product, right? And the function that sort of knows the best about those two things is product marketing. So what it means is, you know, what often happens is companies scale is these organizations get siloed product and product management. They're in charge of building the product. Uh, product marketing takes that product and brings it to market, but there's not a lot. It's sort of like handing it over the fence, right? And what he was finding is that their target customers were not learning about the new products that they were bringing to market. They didn't even know they existed, right? And I, he had a great saying where he said, it's kind of like, you know, if a tree falls in the wood and you didn't hear it, did it, did it really fall? Right. He said, if you build a product and nobody knows about it, did you really build a product? Right. Um, and so what they're doing is they're basically bringing product marketing at the center of it all, where from the very beginning, they're the ones doing the customer research. They're the ones helping engineering with the sort of uh, design and, and sort of development of that product, they're then building the go-to-market strategy and then bringing it to market, right? So they're involved through the full process. And it shouldn't be anything new. That's what product marketing is meant to do. But just that, that a company like Airbnb is taking such a big stance and making product marketing a uh, hugely strategic and important part of the organization, arguably the most important, is something to watch. And I think it's a moment in time where uh, you know, as product marketers, we should be pointing towards that. And we should also be, uh, you know, uh, rising to the occasion, right? 
you know, and what that means is not falling to the trap of being tactical and, and reactive, but being a strategic resource and acting like a, a strategic resource, getting those metrics and those measurements on how we're providing value and, 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 you know, uh, you know, shouting it from the rooftops and making sure that people know uh, what we're bringing to the table and how to engage us to get that value. So uh, that's what I'm really excited about right now. I think it's product marketing's time. And I think everybody should be watching what's going on at Airbnb and, and pushing for a similar sort of uh, uh, change in, in their own orgs. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I remember seeing those posts about, you know, um, Brian's appearance on Lenny's podcast and seeing all these different reactions. And, you know, it's funny, part of me was like, as you said, like, this shouldn't be new. Like, of course, this is what should be happening. But I think it was also just equally frustrating to just see like how often that isn't happening Yeah, at different orgs, especially the size of and kind of success of Airbnb. Because you would think from a product perspective, if I'm not asking, you know, in addition to questions like, what problems are we going to solve? How are we going to solve it? Why are our customers going to care? If you can't answer like, how are we going to sell and market this thing before you even put you know fingers to, to keys to start coding it like you've made a fundamental mistake and like that's the question i know you know in my career and engaging with product marketers that i've always really like pushed or, or product managers i should say to ask before they start deciding on what uh, they should develop and what they should build is is like okay like why and, and how are we going to bring this to market and how are we going to sell and that's something that in my career i saw you know you we talked earlier about product marketers reporting into ceos and founders that founders are very good at, especially if they mm -hmm. come from kind of like a marketing and sales background is, you know, I remember being in meetings at a previous company where the, the founder was very heavily involved in product decisions. And at the product review stage before, you know, discovery would even kick off. Those are the questions that he would ask in those meetings. Like, why are we building this? Why are our customers going to care? How are we going to sell it? How are we going to position it? The same questions that a product marketer would, would ask. And it was, it was shocking how often product managers really struggled to answer that. Like they were really tight on, defining the problem and scoping it out and putting the timeline together and, you know, working with design on mocking things up, but like they couldn't answer those fundamental questions about, you know, the why and the how we're going to sell this thing. Um, and uh, the CEO was very quick to be like, no, like until you answer those questions, like we're not investing the tens, if not hundreds of thousands in dev and product resources to make this happen. So go back and get those answers. And then product marketing would get pulled in after the fact to help them answer those questions. So I think you're right. If product marketers can be more strategic about working with product at those early stages and, and help them answer those questions, not only will product managers have a lot easier time getting those projects approved and developed, they'll ultimately deliver better, more impactful product that does get seen and used by, by their customers. Um, so yeah, just, just wanted to get that out there and just say you're like absolutely spot on. I think that's something that's going to be a huge focus and should be a huge focus for product marketers uh, next year. Awesome. Well, Justin, this has been, like I said, a great conversation. Um, you know, if anybody wants to reach out to you, maybe ask you some questions about setting up their own enablement team or just, you know, kind of leveling up their own enablement efforts or even connecting with you to learn more about Asset Mule, what would be the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So if you're interested in learning about Asset Mule, um, you know, assetmule.ai is our, our website. So feel free to, to stop by and check it out. Um, we also are very active on LinkedIn. So find us on LinkedIn. Uh, we've got our own podcast, the GTM Pack, that we're really building out. Mark, I think you were a guest on it, so thanks for 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 joining. But yeah, we'd love uh, you know feel free to tune in. We'd love to have you there. And then me personally, um, you know, I'm uh, Justin Dorfman uh, on on LinkedIn, right? You, if you find the Justin Dorfman that that works at Asset Mule, that's me. 
Uh, and I try and also post actively there and share sort of uh, my lessons as we're building Asset Mule, but also talking to product marketers and sales enablement and sales folks and learning more about our own space. Um, so happy to connect there and, and chat as well. Yeah, just to reiterate, you and you and George and the Asset Mule account are great accounts to follow on LinkedIn. So um, anybody listening, um, definitely do that. And I'm sure many listeners will. So again, Justin, thank you so much for your time today. Wish nothing but the best of luck for you and George and Asset Mule as you guys continue to grow. And like I said earlier, really excited to see how things progress over the coming uh, months and years. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. This was fun. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Take care, Justin. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic, or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to spot to an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are.